Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect the disconnected to a growing relationship with God. You can connect with God, and we can help. Good morning. It's good to see you all here. So think back with me. When was a time when you just really wish you could have rewritten your story? Perhaps it was a really dumb decision you made. Or maybe it's now that you have the hindsight, you look back and you're like, I should have done something different. That kind of would have been maybe better. Um, perhaps it was like a moment of pain and just frustration. Sometimes we want to do over those too. We're human. So we often have moments where we just want to do over. Where we could rewrite the story, flip the scripts, and make things better. I have one that has haunted me to this very day. Even when I look back on it now, I am like, man, what was I thinking? I tell you, at one point in my life, I owned a Chrysler PT Cruiser as my first car. It was a terrible, terrible experience. But that was my car. And don't have sympathy for me. I don't have sympathy for me because it gets worse. Not only was that mine, but I like selected it. I chose it. I don't know what came over me. I don't know what possessed me. I love cars and like I know better than to choose something like that. But for whatever reason, I did. A little backstory is that when um, I was 16, uh, my grandfather passed away. And so we took in his car and it was a PT Cruiser similar to that one. We had it temporarily, um, but it allowed me to have my family's Ford Explorer, which allowed me to do the extracurriculars, the track and all the things that I had. Um, and my parents didn't have to pick me up or anything like that. I don't know why, but I was really enamored with it, the, my grandfather's one. And so for whatever reason, I just had this sentimental feeling with it. And so as time went on, my Explorer was not doing it so hot. It was older and rusty now, and it also didn't work in reverse. So if I got in the parking spot, like you had to push it out, and then you could drive once you pushed it out of the spot. So it wasn't ideal. So my parents said, you know, we'll help you out if you find a little bit, uh, you know, like something that's less than $5,000, we'll help find something for you. And then I had saved up money from lawn mowing. So the cheap car world was my oyster. Like I had any option. I could have found like a useful old Corolla or like a fun Ford Mustang that was old or something. Like I liked cars, wanted to learn how to fix them up. But for whatever reason, we were driving by my grandparents' house, a town nearby, and I saw that PT Cruiser on the lot and something came over me and I said, that's the one. And so my dad and I, we went to the lot and we talked to the guy and I ended up driving it home. And on that way home, I should have known, I should have turned around and said, I, I don't need this. Because over the next couple of years, it was a rust bucket. It rusted faster than you could imagine. You blinked, there was rust. And then everything just broke, repairs after repairs. My parents footed so many bills. I look back and I wish I could rewrite that. Now I am, I have a RAV4 and that's really helpful for you know, being a college student, I need something reliable. And so I'm trying to rewrite the car story because that's not a great place to start. It's kind of embarrassing. And now whenever I see one, I'm like, man, I've come a long ways from that. But I don't know if you've been that way where you look back on something you're like, I wish I could get a do-over. I wish the story could have been a little bit different. And sometimes it seems that maybe it's irredeemable or that we're stuck with what we've done. Um, but I have good news, and it's actually the best news 
The best news is what we've been talking about this whole time, and that's the gospel. The good news is that God has the ability to rewrite the script, to change it, and to give us a new story, a new direction. I think that's something that we can get excited about. Um, whether you're new, to, you're new to Jesus or you've been with Jesus for a long time, this message should be able to provide hope that the story can be rewritten. And I got to tell you, it's good news that the gospel story can become our story. It doesn't just stick as words on a page, but we actually get to live it out and it rewrites everything. Um, if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Romans 5 today. We've been tracking with Paul through Romans as he's talked about our salvation, righteousness, um, and faith. And so today we're going to talk about our story. Our story is humanity as we've been, um, you know, gone through sin from Adam all the way to Jesus and finding new life in him. Paul's going to give us that whole big picture. And it's something that is really important for us to see because it helps us to understand that God has the ability to change the story for us. If you don't have your Bible with you, um, you can also download the Connect Church app. The scriptures are there and you can take some notes. We'd love for you to follow along that way as well. Before we dive in, let's ask God to help us to understand this word, to teach us and to reach us through what he says. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would reveal to us some of your words um, and what they mean just through reading it, through talking about it together. And um, I also pray to you that you'd help us investigate in our own lives as we go out in our groups and um, our weeks, help us understand what it looks like for our story to be changed by the gospel, by what Jesus has done. So fill us with that encouragement and um, just have your Holy Spirit move in us as we listen. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's read Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 2. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege, where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. Paul identifies a blessing that we receive when we come into the fold of Christ. And that blessing is peace with God. Peace with God. It's, you know, a really nice idealistic term, but what does it really mean? Well, it's not just an internal feeling. And Paul writes, we have peace with God. It's in reality. Um, like, let's say that moment when all the kids are to bed and everything is quiet in the house and you can just sit on the couch and relax. Or that moment when you finally resolve conflict with family or friends and the relationship can return to normal. Like, those feelings are good, but then there's a reality to it that what was creating hostility or conflict or chaos is now at rest. So peace is not just a feeling, but it's a state. It's an actual experience that we get to have. And that's what Paul means when he says peace with God. It's not just a feeling that we're like, okay, God, we're all buddy-buddy. No, that's not it. It's the fact that we no longer have anything keeping us from him. There's nothing in between. There's no conflict or hostility. We get to be at peace with God. To be brought into a state of peace with God is pretty remarkable. And that's not easily done. That's why Jesus did it. It's because he was the only one that could reconcile the difference between us and resolve that conflict between our sin and God's holiness, he was able to bridge the gap. And so as Paul states, that peace should transform us into something else. And that should be joy, which leads to hope. And so we're going to pick up in verse 3, where Paul writes this. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. 
For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with this love. At first, listen to the beginning of that. You might have your dad, grandpa, or uh, someone in your life, that voice where it's like, you know, it builds character. You do something really hard and like, oh, you got to do it because it builds character. Whether that's, you know, shoveling the drive in like the cold or working a big project um, or even running a race or anything. It's like it builds character. That's why we do it. But that's not necessarily what Paul means. It's actually a little bit more. It's about the journey in that by building character, you're also building hope. You see, joy helps us transform that character into hope. And that hope is for something eternal that God is at work. Life can be pretty hard. You know, there's death, there's divorce, there's family disruption, there's economic crisis, there's job loss, and anything that might impact you, life's going to throw at it. But the thing is, your perspective can be different when joy is added to the mix. Because that joy transforms what's happening and leads it to hope. It's not to say that everything gets better or that you know, joy automatically makes things go away. Things can still be hard and heartbreaking. But that joy can sustain you and it transforms into hope through the character that Jesus has given us. That we see when we claim that he is our savior, when we claim that we have new life in him, we can be sustained through any difficulty. So because of Jesus and the power of the gospel, we hold on to these blessings, the peace with God and the ability for joy to transform into hope. That hope will carry us through. But Paul doesn't want us to forget about that love, that love piece either. Um, if you hear on that last end, the Holy Spirit, like God pours it out in the demonstration of his love. The Holy Spirit is almost like a deposit or like a promise that God loves us that much. Like he wants his presence to be with us, which I think is pretty neat. And that makes the joy, the hope, the peace so much more sustainable when life does get hard, when things get chaotic. We have the Holy Spirit to lean on us, to remind us of God's love and to carry us through. So as Paul reminds us of those things, he's going to show us like how this is true, like how um, we also see this in our story and what Christ has done. So verse 6 says this, When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love to us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has made us the friends of God. At the end of my sophomore year of college, my friend Aaron uh, was headed out to a wedding back in Iowa where he was from. And so I said goodbye to him. He had packed up his car and he was on his way. Um, I got a call like an hour later. He said, hey, Alex, let me ask a favor. My car's overheated and I'm going to need you to come bring me some coolant, like from AutoZone or Walmart or whatever. And I said, okay, like, are you just up the road? He's like, yeah, like just 30 minutes north. So I said, all right, I'll be right there. So I race to Walmart and pick out a couple bottles of coolant and head on the road to get up there. Now, this is in Missouri and it was summer, so it's hot, it's humid. I pull up and my friend Aaron is in his car with the windows rolled down, his feet on the dash, clearly having tried everything, his hood was up, but he was just pooped. It was hot. 
And so we finally got there and got the balls of coolant, pouring it in and, and trying to get his engine to do all right, but it was struggling. We had a Jasper County Sheriff come by to help us out, but same thing, we couldn't do much. And so we opted to limp it home. And it was a long drive, not really being able to go faster than 35 back. And on our way back, I was thinking, man, I'm so glad that you know, he wasn't too far, that I could go up and help him. Um, I love helping out friends. But then we passed just a couple more people with their hoods up. You know, someone who also had their engine overheating. Um, you know, just dotted kind of along the road as we made our trek back. And I thought to myself, you know, I'm more than willing to go have, like, help a friend. Like, if a friend calls, I'm there. But I've never stopped to like, help a stranger out when their hood's up. I've never stopped to get coolant or go to AutoZone to get a part that they need. Like, I've never thought to do that. Like, what would keep me from being helpful to a stranger? But the thing is, Paul recognizes that in us too. I mean, how likely would you go help a stranger? Any less, how much would you help a criminal or someone lowly on the street? We would be glad to save a friend or like die for an upright person, one of the most upstanding people in our community. We would be so glad to like do something for them. In fact, people would look on and say, oh man, look how good they are. Like that's that sacrificial love. But if we were to do something for the least of us, for the criminal or the person in our streets, people would think it's a waste or a shame. They wouldn't understand. And sometimes we don't either. But the truth is, God isn't like that though. God's love stands in contrast to the very best that human love could ever deliver. Like we were still sinners, but God sent his son for us. We weren't his friends, we were his enemies. Paul makes that clear. But God still gave one of the greatest gifts ever for us, even when we were still sinners. So what does that mean for us? Like for our story? Well, because of that extraordinary demonstration of love, the story gets to change. Like we don't get to be stuck as enemies or um, stuck in sin, but rather because of that love, the page gets to turn. A new line gets to be written, which I think is pretty neat. And we're going to see that as we hop into the last section of chapter 5. Paul's going to show us how this, these blessings um, become a reality in this story. From Adam to Christ, we see a big picture of sin, but then redemption and reconciliation through what Jesus did on the cross. Now, this, this section of scripture is long. It is um, over 10 verses, but I thought it was appropriate to keep it all as one group because it's the whole narrative from Adam to Jesus, what it means for that story. And that's our story as people. And so just pay attention to that comparison and what it looks like for that story to change. Verse 12 says this, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Yes, people sinned even before the law was given, but it was not counted as sin because there was not yet any law to break. Still, everyone died from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even those who did not disobey an explicit commandment of God as Adam did. Now, Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ, who is yet to come. But there's a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is, a very, diff is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness 
For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God in new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul paints a 30,000 feet view of our story, of where we've been and where we can be through Christ. See, Adam and Eve in the garden, they were tempted by the serpent and they took the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil and they ate it. And that was, the, that was where it all started. Eating the fruit wasn't the root of the issue. God had told them not to eat it, but they said, no, God, I know what I want more. I know what I want instead. See, they took it in their hands because they thought God was holding out on them. And isn't that the truth for all of us? Where we often have those moments where he said, God, I know best. I know what I want to do. And those are often the moments in our story where we wish, looking back, we could rewrite. And that's hard. But we're all guilty of that. We've all been there. Like, God, I know better. But the thing is, it leads to a constant pitfall of sin when we say that too. Um, Paul in verse, four, uh, verse 12 has sin as an active um, state. He uses the word brought, where sin brings death. Like, it's active. Sin is active in what it does in that it leads to death. It's a communal thing. You know, one sin affects everyone, whether you see it or not. And you might be asking yourself, you know, how did Adam's sin get to all of us? Like, how did just one man spread to everyone? But the thing is, sin is, is like a contagion. It's like a condition that it spreads to everyone. It just doesn't stick to one person. Sin is communal. So whether it's in the secret of your home or whether it's out in public, it's still going to affect someone because it's a condition and it's communal. Sin is a big deal. And when Paul talks about Adam, he doesn't mean him alone as just a single figure. He is a historical figure that Paul is talking about, but at the same time, it's a corporate figure underneath that we're all like Adam, where we've been. You see, we don't have to stick that way though, because as Paul has mentioned, Christ stands at the reflective opposite of Adam. There's the similarities, but then Christ doesn't bring death, he brings life. He brings redemption, and he does it through the name of God's wonderful grace. And that's the cool part, is that Jesus enables a free gift to us. A free gift. Have you ever received a gift that, like, changed everything for you? Like, changed your narrative or script? Maybe it was as simple as, like, someone got you, you know, a car when you were 16, and that enabled you to do a lot. Um, maybe it was like, I don't know, a National Geographic magazine that inspired a hobby that your grandpa got for you. Um, or maybe it was like a check that someone gave you that helped your family out in a hard time. Like we've all received gifts that maybe changed the narrative of what was happening at, the, at that moment. For me, one of the greatest gifts that I received um, was back in high school when I was a senior and I went to a Bible camp. Um, it was in western Iowa called Camp Neboa on a nice little oxbow lake off the Missouri River and loved it there. And every year there was a camp team from a Bible college that would come and um, help out. They would help lead, uh, lead groups, lead worship. And so it was always fun to meet them. I thought the college students were so cool. I wanted to be just like them. 
But one thing they did was also like a little bit of recruiting where they would help pour into high school students that were there and just like, you know, help them identify maybe some ministry skills or um, things that they see in them and what God could do with them. But I just, I didn't even think about that. Like I had written off ministry. My parents had done it, but I was like, I want to do something special. I wanted to, to be a city planner, go to a big university. And I thought that was, you know, that was the key. That would be cool. But what happened over that week is that I got put in a group with um, these two guys from Ozark Christian College. Their names are Luke and Ryan. And over the week, we had great group discussions. They asked me great questions. Um, and the other guys in my group, we all got to be poured into from them. But at the end of the week, they kind of identified some different ministry things that they saw in us that maybe God could use. Whether that looked like vocational ministry in the church or outside, um, they were both applicable. But that last night, Luke and Ryan pulled me aside and said, hey, come to the chapel to our booth. Uh, we have something we want to give you. And so that night I went and, um, after service and went to the booth and they pulled out this paper scholarship. It had my name written on it and it had a really big amount on it. And I was like, what is this? They're like, my, I remember specifically, Luke said this to me. He's like, I think you need to be in ministry and we want to help you get here. And this is yours. And I took it and I'm like, but I don't, I haven't even decided, I haven't even said yes to God. Like, I don't even know if this is what I want to do. And are you sure you're giving it to the right person? I haven't done anything for it. But they said it was mine. And so I remember going to my bunk in the dorm and just sitting there, like holding it and looking at it like, is this really what God wants me to do? And I remember just sitting there and eventually saying yes to God. Like, I just knew that was what it was supposed to be. But I look back on that and like, what really makes that scholarship special to me in my memory? You know, it's not just because I got it or the fact that it was, you know, something I didn't deserve. And it's not even the fact that I went to Ozark and I had it applied to my account, like it actually was useful. That wasn't what made it special. It was just the fact that like it changed the degree, the, the path that I had in mind for myself. It changed the story. But the thing is that scholarship wouldn't have done any good in changing my story if I didn't accept it if I didn't apply it to my account when I got to college. It wouldn't have really changed anything if it weren't applied. So what have you done with God's free gift to you? What have you done? Have you just held it? Have you applied it? You're still wondering if it's, you know, the direction that you need. What have you done with God's free gifts to you? You see, you didn't pay for it. Jesus did that. You can't work to earn it because you could work all your life and it would never be enough. So there's nothing you can do about it. It's, it's just yours. It's, it's on the table for you. You see, God's free gift, it can change our story and it can change your story. And here's the good news. And I want to read Romans 5, 21 again. It says this, So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. See, we can have peace with God. Isn't that good news? That's exciting. We can have peace with God. We can have hope through hard times. That's good news too. But the best news is that we don't have to be stuck anymore in our story. We can actually give the pen over to Jesus. He, he can rewrite it. We can be right with God and we can have new life. Maybe, maybe you've been wrestling, like, you know, how does my story really change with the cross? Or like, how do, I, how do I actually give that pen over to Jesus? Like, what does that look like? 
Maybe you want to start rewriting that story, and the best way to do that might be baptism. Baptism is a, a, a public act to declare, like, I claim Jesus as my Lord and Savior. It publicly declares that to everyone and, and to yourself, but it also is a really neat act, of, a physical way of, of giving that pen to Jesus and saying, here, I trust you with it to finish the story, because I haven't written it well on my own. And it's a way to redeem um, the next chapter. And I think that's good, good, exciting news. May 22nd, next Sunday, is our Baptism Sunday. And so maybe if the Holy Spirit is putting that on your heart, if you've been thinking about it, and you want to give that pen over to Jesus, I'd encourage you to do that. You can sign up in our church app for um, a spot in doing that, and um, we would love to connect with you when you do that. You can fill out a Connect card as well, um, and just mark that you would love to be baptized and take that next step. Perhaps you've been, you've been with Jesus for a while. You've been letting him rewrite the story for a bit. You've had some chapters under your belt, and he's been doing a lot of neat work in your lives, changing um, directions and, and redeeming um, and bringing you new life. So if that's the case, like if you've been under there a while, you're like, okay, you know, how else does this apply to me? Well, if you, if you read through the chapter 5, I think it's pretty evident and pretty plausible that Paul is pretty joyful when he's writing this. He is writing this with excitement. He has good news to share. And I think if Paul can write that way, I think we should also be joyful when we hear it. And that joy should uh, transfer us to act, that we should go disciple others, that we shouldn't just keep this to ourselves. We shouldn't just keep the fact that Jesus has the power to rewrite our story. We would want to tell that to other people, right? So if you've seen grace and truth in your life play out, if you've seen God do a good work in you, go share that. Go share that hope. Go share the message that we see in Romans 5. If you have been letting Jesus rewrite that story for a while, it's a testimony to the power that he has. So disciple others, find someone to share that with, and help them see the possibility of what Jesus can do in redirecting their story. You see, we were of Adam, and sin was our condition. It seemed pervasive, and it seemed like there was no hope that the book was going to be closed with no hope at the end. And there was conflict with God. I mean, it, was, it didn't look so good. But then when we have Jesus come into the picture and rewrite all of that, where we now have hope, where we now have peace with God, where we have something eternal to look forward to, that is good, good news. You see, the story is being rewritten. The gospel story is being made our story. And the ending is way better than we could ever imagine it to be. From death to life, Jesus pens a new path for our story. doesn't matter where you've been or where you're coming from, but Jesus can take that pen and he can write a better ending than we can imagine. Will you pray with me? God, I thank you for um, your, the free gift of your son and what that means for us as Christians and also just as people that we get to celebrate new life with you, but the fact that we don't have to um, walk about life in despair or we don't even have to walk around in life um, knowing that we're at conflict with you, but rather we have peace, that we have been made right, and that we have been um, washed clean by the blood of Jesus. Uh, I pray that you would uh, just be speaking to those who might be looking to take that next step and maybe looking to see baptism if that's the right move or, um, or even who we can disciple to share this news with. Uh, I pray that you put that on our hearts and help us to live out this word this week. In Jesus' name, amen.